Welcome to the Sticky CMO, brought to you by award-winning marketer Tom Baskill. This is the podcast for CMOs who want to become indispensable. Each week, Tom is joined by expert guests on the cutting edge of their fields to help you level up where it matters. From socials to lead gen, each episode is packed with actionable tips for marketers looking to become irreplaceable in their organizations, because 2023 is the year to become sticky. Hello, and welcome to the Sticky CMO. Today, our guest is Natalie Marcatulio. She is the head of growth and operations at Novotic. Natalie, how are you doing today? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining. Excited. It's a short week. Finally excited to talk to you. I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about Novatic. Could you tell me what you do and why interactive product demos are even important? Yeah, happy to. So as you mentioned, we do interactive product demos, which I always describe as try before you buy experiences for software. So you get a little taste of the product without necessarily needing to jump right into a free trial or talking to a salesperson. They typically live on websites or send out like email cadences. And why they're important, I think we've all been buyers of B2B software. At least I know I bought like way too much software in my days. And one of the most frustrating parts is trying to decipher kind of vague copy on a website or look at screenshots and really understand what the product does. So as a buyer, it just gives you that immediate hands-on access to understand the aha, the value moments, and is this a good fit for me? And saves your time, saves the salesperson's time for not having talked to someone who was never really qualified for your product. So I think overall just makes the B2B buying experience more seamless. Yeah, I'll, I'll say as a millennial, I really want to try before I buy. I want to look at it before a salesperson sells me. So I love this idea of pre-qualifying. Is that kind of the results that you're seeing from your clients? There are two different main use cases, depending on if they're sales-led or not. If they are sales-led, we are hearing that these are some of the highest quality leads. It is that pre-qualifying, those getting through. It's almost like skipping that first kind of harbor tour demo or just kind of, what is this talk? Because they go into the first call understanding what they're signing up for. On the flip side, if it's a PLG company, we've heard that it helps as far as like free trial to paid conversion rates and activation rates because the users going in, similarly, just knowing what they signed up for and already seeing the aha moments. So it might be a little more, say, inspired or motivated to work and put in the work for that free trial to get set up. Right. Yeah, free trial is, is nothing if the person doesn't actually try out the software. That's super important. You use no code, or at least from the user end, it's a no code platform. How is no-code changing the B2B tech landscape? I think it's crazy how much an individual contributor, someone who's maybe not technical and speaking from my own sense, like I know the basics of HTML and CSS, but how much you can get done in a day and how much automation you can set up, just how much more we're doing because of no-code. Like I was actually a customer of Novatic before I joined. And one thing that was pretty frustrating was we had a PLG motion and I could not control so many simple things like how many fields should we put on the form to sign up. But that directly impacted my conversion rates, my numbers I was responsible for for activated free trialers. So with the no code world, suddenly marketers can have control over the metrics that they're tasked for. They're not really reliant on other departments. Mm, I think that reliance is super important. I've definitely worked with some no-code brands. And one of the things that I, I always hear is, you know, marketers and as a marketer going to IT to get something created or having to go to a developer for a web form to be created. That's an unnecessary delay in kind of an era where we need to be fast to the market. Exactly. And just experimentation, right? That's a huge part of being in growth. And it's pretty hard to experiment when you might get like one ask a month. And no knock to engineering, they have an amazing product to build that should be their focus. I think Another flip to the no-code side is engineering gets to spend more time perfecting the product or free trial experience rather than dealing with my one-off marketing asks. Right. 
Yeah. And then, of course, you build the form and you have to test it. And you might find out that, okay, we need to change some language or we need to remove a form field. And, and that's a, actually a big ticket headache when you can do that yourself and, and save a lot of time. Exactly. Yeah, I could see this being super helpful for senior marketer leaders, not for them to do themselves, but really just for having their team be more nimble. That's amazing. We already kind of talked about it a little bit, but could you tell me maybe a little more in depth about how this no-code movement is really empowering marketers to get more done, especially from a senior marketer level? I think the biggest thing is, as a senior marketer, like we hear a lot of our customers, especially at the CMO level, they understand that the buyer experience is flawed. They understand that there might be some friction in their sign-up process. They understand that it's not always the easiest to get up and running and that they want to make a difference. But there's only so much that tweaking website copy or changing your ad messaging can really impact that better buying experience. So rather than, again, having to get buy-in from leadership, having to make this big pitch, having to get engineering resources, which could probably take five to six months, let's be realistic, Mm -hmm. you can now experiment with it within less than a week. Right. The nice thing is with these interactive demos, it's not like you have to go full fledged. Let me put it on my website and blast it everywhere. If you first show, okay, from let's do this in an ad campaign, and the free trialers we got from this ad campaign or the leads we got from this ad campaign were more qualified than ever, then you have some data to back it up. And it's much easier to then go to your leadership team and say, we need to make this a site wide priority. So I think it's really enabling us just to be more nimble and getting that proof before we make the pitch. Yeah, the way that I approach marketing is get the minimum viable product out, tested, before you invest engineering resources or even before you really spend on ads. You know, you can run a small test pilot to see if this is even working in an interesting way. On the back side, what kind of automations are involved? Could you tell me a little bit more about, so if I receive this demo and I'm looking through it, what kind of information does a marketer get on the back end from that? It really depends whether or not the demo is gated. And just logically, right, if you have a form up front asking for email, we can then send that into your CRM. If we don't have an email, Salesforce or HubSpot can't create a contact off of nothing. But on the flip side, we do have things like Google Analytics integration, segment integration, Zapier. So you could send this anonymized data just the same way that you would send any sort of website event data. So Mm. similar to how you could see, okay, how many people are clicking on this button on my website? You can see how many people are interacting with my demo and how far. And one thing we've even been doing internally is using enrichment data like Clearbit or like Sixth Sense, combining it with Google Analytics. And now we can see what are the top engaged companies going through my interactive demo. And we use that for outbound purposes. So we Mm. say, okay, these companies are clearly showing interest. They haven't booked a demo with us yet. They understand our product. Let's go outbound them. Mm. That's fantastic. That kind of nitty gritty data. And you actually alluded to something that we had talked about on LinkedIn when we we first met. GA4, Google Analytics 4, is being rolled out. Google Analytics is changing. We're in a almost cookie-less world. How is that affecting marketing attribution for marketers? I've been seeing this movement for the past few years, so I don't know if it's just GA4 doing this. But I think we're relying a lot more on sales attribution, self-reported attribution, and less on third-party tools to tell us. And I think that's going to be more honest anyways. Like we switched to a self-reported attribution model. I feel like this is all the buzz. Like I've seen a lot of companies doing this more and more. And I always caveat, we sell to marketers. They tell us where they found us because they get the game. But suddenly we get really detailed insights into this specific LinkedIn post or this specific person or this specific blog post versus just sort of that high level like cookie from referral. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Or if you're very unlucky, it just says direct. And then you're like, great, where, where did this even come from? Did they see my ad and then decide to Google it and then didn't click the first Google ad? Yeah, I think that in some ways it is trickier, but as marketers, our job changes yearly. So I feel like if we're nimble, we'll be able to handle it. And something that I really want to pick apart, talking about your own attribution. And one thing, if you're running ads, say you're running DD360 through Google, the ad platform says something very different than what your own analytics see. Do you see kind of a single source of truth being more real for marketers and delivering better insights? I think this is where, again, going back to self-reported really helps because for us, we can get alignment on like how many leads are coming in from ads. And then they'll tell us, though, did they really come from the ad or did they come from maybe first on LinkedIn and then clicked on our ad? So we also use HubSpot as our one source of truth, which really helps. Like everything's filtered in through HubSpot. Everyone is tagged who books a demo with us, the how did you hear about us on that field. So it makes us a lot easier just to have this one place to report into and know we can align the numbers. We're not necessarily reporting in Google Analytics here and GA4 here and another system here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. How do you see privacy kind of impacting this? One thing that I'm always looking at is what Europe is doing. GDPR was the buzzword five years ago, I guess. But how do you see privacy regulations and trends impacting what we can attribute? Yeah, I think we're just going to have to be more comfortable with less data, potentially using sample sets, more first-party research, win-loss research, however we can, because we are going to have impact, less direct attribution and seeing, you know, where are people coming from. And I think we're just going to have to find ways around that because I don't see it getting any better. Like as a consumer, I'm constantly opting out of things as much as I can now using incognito or ad blockers. Like it's just going to get worse and worse. So we're going to have to come with sort of workaround methods. And that's just asking our consumers directly. Right. And if we're doing that on our own end and we understand how important this data is for companies, consumers are definitely going to be doing it on their end. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. One thing that I love to do is go to Google and start searching things that I think my clients are going to get and see what competitors are showing me and things like that. And that's where Incognito comes in. And basically, I'm playing the system. And I think that moving to a model where maybe we don't see attribution as 100% accurate would actually be better because I don't think that it's been fully accurate in the past anyway. Multi-touch is nearly impossible to attribute. Yeah, I think if anything, this has just uncovered what we've sort of already known but didn't want to admit that this wasn't fully accurate. I think more than ever, too, it's so important to then connect with your customers, like be in the communities that your potential customers are in, go to the networking events they're at. Because when you're there, you kind of just like hear where they're hearing you about. Like they'll naturally talk about it or if you ask them. And yes, it might not be something you can perfectly plot or have direct attribution to. But sometimes as a marketer, you kind of just got to trust your gut. And if you're hearing a bunch of people saying the same thing over and over again, it's like, okay, this is probably working in some way. Right, right. I think about Ogilvy and their famous ads and there was no digital attribution, right? But they still managed to make sales and they still managed to create these iconic ads that marketers are still learning copywriting from. So we'll just evolve. Yeah, I think we'll get used to it. Yeah, absolutely. To bring us to a little bit more what you're currently doing and to talk a little bit more about senior marketers and kind of what they need. Why are people coming to Novotic and what kind of challenges are you helping them overcome? It already sounds like you gave me, we already already talked a little bit about the business, but can you tell me more about what's the pain point and then what is the solution? We hear a lot of times, especially if it's a senior CMO or senior marketing leader, they've been trying to improve their website conversion rates. And so maybe they did some message testing. Maybe they did some first-party research and they hear that no matter, again, the videos, the screenshots, Ultimately, the prospects don't fully understand what their product does. 
They don't fully see the value of it. They're not sure why they should sign up. And so that's when they really get the aha moment of I need to make it more clear what my product does from my website. And generally, that's when they go looking for something like Nevatic. Mm -hmm. So I think it's solving that pain point of, again, my messaging might be unclear or it still might just be too hard to explain through screenshots. So really, the prospects want a fully immersive way to understand what they're signing up for. And as you mentioned before, like as a millennial, I love self-service. I think B2C has just spoiled us a little bit. Mm -hmm. I think we've all gotten a little so used to getting as much information up front in our B2C world, doing our own research. So I think it's also marketing leaders realizing, oh, I need to match the way that these B2C buyers want to buy and provide them the same amount of information. Awesome. And as we close up, I, I mean, I've really enjoyed our conversation. You know, you've got this pulse on the latest tech, right, of, of that marketers are using. Could you tell me what you kind of predict is going to happen in the next one to three years? We know we hear things like generative AI. We hear about a cookie-less world. Where do you see us going as marketers? It's an interesting one. One thing I do kind of saying in the B2B buying world is I'm seeing a lot more marketers trying to skip or get around the sales cycle as much as possible. I think as I talked about that frustrating B2B buying experience. So people are going more and more just to their friends or communities. And I think we've all seen this, but I've been seeing more people coming to me and saying, okay, I'm interested in Nevada. Can you answer these five questions for me? Because they clearly don't want to talk to sales or enter our sales funnel or have to be talk to an SDR and be qualified, even though we don't do that in Nevada. But I'm curious how products will maybe systematize that in a way, right? Like not necessarily getting rid of salespeople, but reskilling where they really are the consultants and maybe having a way for if you're interested in a tech product, who are your five friends that work there? How can you first get their approval first? And maybe just an obvious way to say, like, am I qualified? Because that's what people are reaching out to say. Like, am I qualified? Yes, no. Please tell me so I don't have to wait two weeks to find out from your AE. I don't have a prediction of how that's going to be solved, but I think it's a really interesting trend I've been seeing and will be very curious to see if any tech can kind of systematize it. Mm, yeah. And in the social media space in particular, I'm really excited about employee advocacy and there's some exciting new platforms there. So I could see kind of accelerating that word of mouth might be helpful and people will pre-qualify. I think you really nailed it on the head that consumers, even in the B2B space, are way more sophisticated. We have been through multiple sales cycles. We've been through the college sales cycle. We've been through the car sales cycle. We've been through just buying a tiny little product that we saw on Facebook. So I think that with this sophistication could actually come an easier environment for marketers as folks will pre-qualify themselves. So I think that's a fantastic insight. And I'm excited to see where we go from there. Yeah. No, I'm excited to see a world where buying is just the smoothest as buying on Amazon. Mm, that would be wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Natalie. And I, I super appreciate your time. And I hope you enjoy this short week. Yeah, you too. Thanks so much for having me, Tom. So thank you for listening to The Sticky CMO. We're available on the podcast app of your choice, as well as on YouTube as a video podcast. For more information on how to become indispensable to your organization, please visit us at www.tombaskill.com, spelled B-A-S-G-I-L.